Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. In 1992, February of 1992, West Hill started a support, financial and spiritual, and uh, um, physical support for Chris and Donna Sadowitz's. And so uh, it's uh, quite amazing to think back it's been that long, and uh, in 2011, uh, a group of us had the great privilege of had the great privilege of going to Japan on a missions trip. Uh, I was asking Lisa; she usually remembers all these numbers, but I said, "Was there 22 of us or 18 of us?" She said, "I don't remember, but there was a group of us, and maybe those of you who went, you can help me later." But there was a good group of us who went over there and got to experience Japanese culture, and we got to get a taste of what it was that you guys have done now for all of these years, faithfully serving God in a difficult land. In a you, difficult as I remember, land. you liked the naked baths. Yes, yes. The, on, the onsen was quite the experience, which I have a few stories of that, which probably aren't appropriate for <laughs> this uh, platform. So... Yeah, that was interesting. So <clears throat> I just wanted his face to match the color of Ohio State, uh, you know, Buckeyes. That's right. That's right. So we are we are blessed to have Chris and Donna with us. If you missed Friday night, you missed a great time of just walking through and yeah. trying to look at our culture. Um, but I know Chris is excited to come and share the word with you, and uh, and at the same time challenge us. Uh, to think about what's going on over there in Japan and how God is using Chris and Donna uh, to spread the gospel. But I know Chris's heart, and Chris's heart is not only for for them to be uh, used by God, but for us here uh, in Akron, uh, that God would use us for the gospel message. So if you would, would you help welcome me with a nice warm greeting, Chris Sadowitz. Thanks, my friend. I'll continue on with announcements uh, here. Uh, we're, we're reinstating our uh, Vacation Bible School. Uh, 17 years running we've done it, but then COVID uh, came. And uh, also uh, the loss of staff uh, at the Miyakonajo Christian Center. So we are coming back with it this year. So if you have an, uh, an inkling that you don't want to take two weeks or so to come see Japan for a week and help us another week at VBS, uh, love to have you this summer. Also, we have a handsome, strapping 32-year-old son who's just dying to get married. And uh, so if you'd like to come out just to see him, yeah, please. Uh, that would be great. If he knew I was doing this, he would kill me and disown me. But now uh, there's another announcement here somewhere in there. Where was it? I will get to that. We... We know that many of you are new here and new to us, and we don't have a lot of time to do introductions and, and things because we want Jesus to get the most amount of time, and he's the important one here, not us. Uh, but we're from uh, New York, my wife from Pennsylvania, and uh, as Pastor said, you have been partnering with us for 31 years to see the gospel bear fruit in Japan. We appreciate you so much, and we're here to say thank you this morning. We still want to do another 20 years, so if you're in, we're in, and uh, we'll see what God does. And we're anticipating great things because God is moving in Asia, and I want to share that with you this morning. God's moving in Asia. God is bringing people into Japan, and this is, this is our God. This is what he does. He, he takes uh, human laws, human rules, human uh, interruptions, and he works through all of those things. Uh, 
Japan for the last 25 years has tried to curtail its uh, uh, birth rate, and they've succeeded in that. So they now have family sizes with 1.2 children per family. I don't know how you get a 0.2 child. Uh, but they have just made an emergency announcement that if they do, they do not invite foreign workers into the country, uh, in the millions that their infrastructure will perish uh, within 10 years as there's no one to bring in the harvests, no one to do the manufacturing, labor jobs, and the infrastructure will fail in, in Japan. And so Japan is opening its borders. In the last two years in our town of Miyakononja, uh, we have uh, seen uh, people from all over Asia uh, and Europe uh, pouring into Japan as we speak, our son's playing soccer with probably nine different people groups uh, that have come into our area in Japan. God is doing a movement uh, to shift people on a global scale so that those who are believers can be brought into contact with unbelievers and the gospel can go forth. The church uh, will prevail. COVID can't stop it, right? Uh, this is a different group than five years ago when I was here. You don't know me, I don't know you. Some of you have lasted perhaps. But the gates of hell will not prevail against the onslaught of the church. It's not that the church is being attacked. The church is moving forward in the world to perform the mission of God in this world. We have the wrong idea if we think that we're here and the world is attacking us. And many of us feel that way. But that's the wrong way to think about the New Testament. And what Peter and Paul and all the, the, the disciples knew was that we're advancing. We're on the offense. You saw the game yesterday. How many of you saw the game yesterday? Any Penn State fans here? Are you in mourning? Oh, there you are. Very proud. <laughs> it was a... It was a until the last 10 minutes, it was a defensive game. Kind of, you know, boring, you know. Let's, let's watch, uh, you know, some of these offensive high-power teams. But great defense. But we're not defensive in, in the church. We're offensive. We're offensive in that we have a goal that we're going for. We have the ball. We have the gospel. We have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have all of the weapons for spiritual warfare. We are to be advancing into the world. What is the Great Commission? First word? Let me ask you this morning. How does your life demonstrate the word go? We're going to share a, a, a multimedia presentation in a few minutes. So you're going to hear the world's shortest sermon. Turn to, in fact, I think we have it right up here. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 through 29. Paul, in order to do all that he did, and what Paul did in a very short time was to travel all through the Roman Empire and take that word go. And to try to share Christ with as many people groups as he could in the Roman Empire. And everywhere Paul went, I was reading Acts recently, and everywhere Paul went, he encountered ridicule. He encountered scorn. Uh, he was stoned. Uh, not in the drug sense. Uh, uh, he was, uh, you know, shipwrecked. Uh, he was always uh, attacked by whether it be Gentiles or Jews. Everything came at a price for Paul. What, what keeps a man going like that? We're, 
when you think of uh, the, how commercialism has affected each one of us, we always are doing a, a cost versus benefit analysis in our life. You know, what can we get with this, what can we get, the amount can we get with the little amount of effort that we can put in? And we're always thinking this way, and this even comes into our Christianity. How can I get eternal life and do the bare minimum to say thank you to Jesus Christ? Unfortunately, this is not the words of Chris Satterwitz. This is the words of many Christian writers today that the number one problem in American Christianity is consumerism. It's infected us. We say, hey, I got my free, I, I prayed to receive Jesus as my savior. Woo, I'm all, I'm all set. I'm, that's, that's what I got to go. But that doesn't keep the Christian dynamic of going and moving forward running. That's not the engine of the church. The mission of God has always been the engine of the church. Pressing forward so that more and more people can hear about Jesus Christ. So Paul, in order to keep uh, fighting through all of these difficulties, Paul had this very focused, laser-sharp purpose statement for his life. And here it is in Colossians 1, and we're reading in the Phillips translation. Uh, let's read it together from the screen. Ready? Go. So naturally, we proclaim Christ we warn everyone we meet and we teach everyone we can all that we know about him so that, if possible, we may bring every man up to his full maturity in Christ. This is what I am working at all the time with all the strength God gives me. Father, as we look at this statement of Paul's life, may it grip our hearts uh, and may it change our thinking, and then may our behaviors and our actions also be changed in commensurate glory and grace to your great name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's start with the first phrase, so naturally. What does Paul mean by this? Uh, in a natural manner, we are to share the gospel. In conversation, during life, uh, not forced. It's not, it's not a program. Sometimes we memorize things to say to people, that's not bad, but we have to learn to talk to people in daily life in a, in a natural manner. Two weeks ago, we were visiting Donna's mother down in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and the family was around, and we went out to eat at the Westchester Diner, and the, the lady came by, and she was probably maybe my age, 60 or so, and she had all these rings on her hands. You know, you, you notice waitresses' hands when they come in, because they're always delivering the food, and I was trying to count the rings, but she was moving fast, so it was hard. She had 12 of us to serve, and the rings were flashing, but then I noticed she had tattoos everywhere, too, and she had a a spider web one. It's almost like people don't want to pay $200 for the fancy tattoo, so they're doing their own now, you know, and they look kind of hideous, uh, but uh, she had a spider and a spider web there, and uh, so that caught my attention. So I, I asked her uh, about the rings, you know, and uh, you like rings? Yeah, well, I like rings. And uh, so she came back to the table again. I said, oh, you like spiders? And I said, you know, in Japan, we got big spiders about the size of your hand and everything. And so as we're checking out, I said to her, I said, you know, you have tattoos, and I found that tattoos in people's lives really mean something, right? You know, you, you, got, you got a broken heart, or, oh, what happened in the broken heart? Or, or you got the name of your old girlfriend here, it's crossed out. Then you got the name of another girlfriend, that's crossed out. And then, you know, at the bottom it should say, hey, maybe I'm the problem, you know? <laughs> it's like, and so you say to people, you say, um, you know, what does that mean to you? And they'll tell you a story. Everyone has a story. And uh, I said, you know, I have a tattoo also. I said, but this one's on my heart. 
And they said, what do you mean? Well, when you believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior and he takes away your sin, he guarantees that you have eternal life by sealing you, giving you someone, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes into your heart. He seals you until the day uh, of redemption. And that word sealing in Greek is the word for the injection of ink or the impression of a ring into wax uh, or the chiseling of something into rock. And when you're getting the tattoo, you're having that ink injected and marked into your body to leave a message. And that's exactly the word that is used for that. And I said, that's my tattoo. Uh, you can't see it, but I gladly declare that to you uh, because that's what Christ has done in my life. So in, in these kind of ways, you can, as you practice sharing about Jesus as a living person with other people, you can use anything that happens in a day in conversation to talk naturally about Jesus Christ. He's alive. He's real. He's not an idea. But naturally has another meaning. But of course, what else would I do? Right? When the disciples were all running away from Jesus, when he started preaching uh, these sermons about having to die and going toward uh, his crucifixion, uh, the disciples, you know, and Peter was uh, one of them, he would say, no, don't, don't give him that sermon, Lord. Let's give him the sermon like you're going to feed him again or something like that. But at one point, Jesus said to the disciples that were left, the 12, he said, are you going to leave me too? And Peter makes this wonderful statement. He says, Lord, where would we go? you're the only one that, have, that has the words of life. What else are we going to do? Where would we go if we ran from you? And of course, naturally, Paul shared Christ. What else, what else would he do? Christ met him on the road, slew him down with blindness, raised him back up and said, you're going to be my tool to the Gentiles. What else was Paul going to do? Naturally, he's going to go and share Christ. There's a third naturally and we think of nature in terms of father like father like son, right? Based on our position, are you a son of the father through Jesus Christ, your Lord? Amen, you are. So naturally, you would be acting like the father. And isn't it the father in the prodigal son stories, the one that's always going out every day, scanning the world around him, looking for his son to come back? Naturally, as sons and daughters of our Father, that's how we ought to be acting. And naturally, you go to work each day. Naturally, you live in a community. You have a lovely community around the church here. The trees were glorious this morning as we drove in. Naturally, you're the fabric of your community. Normal daily living, engaging in humanity of it all. Jesus actually liked to hang out with people. Presence highlights the role of relationships in missional living. Nat you live naturally. And so sharing Christ in your community ought to be natural as well. Miss Dorothy was one of your longstanding members, and she's passed on now a number of years. But as we stayed at her house, one of our furloughs, uh, we were amazed at some of the things that she was doing in her 80s uh, to reach out to people. She joined the local library reading club and she would always read books that had something to do with spiritual issues. And so that was her turn to share in the club. She would talk about what God was doing in her life through this book. 
Uh, we thought that was ingenious. Um, she uh, also decided that, you know, I can do ministries inside the church, but I've been doing that my whole life. The church is to be more elastic, like it has to have stretchy pants and reach out into the, the community. And she goes, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a little card and I'm going to stick it in all my neighbor's mailboxes uh, about a coffee time at my house. And she made little breads and, and invited people to come over and talk about life. And of course, when you talk about life, you have to talk about its purpose. And in talking about its purpose, you come to its origin, originator, which is God. I thought that was great. And I share that story everywhere we go because that is what it is to uh, be a person that does these things naturally. Secondly, we look at the word Christ. Christ, uh, when you look at Paul's letters like Ephesians chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 1, and you try to count the number of times Christ uh, appears in those letters, you run out of fingers and toes because Paul is always talking about Christ. He's not talking about himself. He's not talking about the weather. He's not talking about sports. He's not even talking about Ohio State. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Christ is the most important thing to talk about, who he is. He is God, the only God, what he did. He bought us with his blood and he rose again to show that that sacrifice was accepted by the Father. What his future holds, he is coming back to judge the world in righteousness. Only he matters. Only he can change people's lives. He is alive and he is coming back and he lives inside of me and you. And we have to keep talking about Jesus Christ. We talk a lot. We Twitter. We Facebook. We TikTok. We talk but all the banal matter that we talk about, all of the things that we talk about are going to be held in account one day. How many times do you have to ask people about how the weather is? How many times do you have to talk about a TV show that you saw? How many times do we have to talk about things that do not matter for eternity? And the person that we need to be talking about, the one that's glorious, the one that loves us, the one that is living, that's the one that we need to be emphasizing and talking about and bringing up in conversation. Everyone is another word that is coming here. Uh, we warn everyone we meet. We teach everyone we can uh, so that we can bring every man up to his full maturity uh, this is what I'm working at all the time with all the strength God gives me. There's this encompassing thing. Um, one time uh, I was preaching in a, in a church in Japan and one of the ladies was upset with me. I said, why are you upset? She said, well, Chris, every time you talk about Christ and talk about our Christian life, you make it sound like we haven't done anything for Jesus. And, 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 I, and she said, you know, we, we did this for him and we did this for him. And you're always you're always uh, making us feel like we haven't done enough and don't appreciate us. I said, it's not that I don't appreciate you. It's just that there's something about having an eternal God that we follow. The eternality of Jesus Christ means that you never get to the end of him. And from his perspective, we can never do all that he asks us to do because it never ends. And so the one thing we have to understand about our living God, Jesus Christ, is he's always going to come to your life and my life, and he's going to say, oh, I, I want one more thing. 
I know you're doing this good, but there's, there's just one more thing. There's, there's just one little thing I, I need you to do. And as you walk with Jesus, you realize and you begin to anticipate, hey, this was a great day today in terms of ministry, in terms of helping people come to know my Savior. But tomorrow's coming. And there's going to be new adventures. And there's going to be new opportunities. And if you look at these, this Jesus wants one more thing, if you look at it from a positive perspective, that drives you forward. That's why Paul could say what? Forgetting what lies behind. And what? Pressing on. Pressing forward. Going forward. Again, we're offensive. Right? We want the score. We want the score. We want the excitement. We want the joy. This is the passion of the Christian life. I mean, you could disagree with me, but you can't deny that the only reason we're able to stay in Japan for 30 years where not much is happening is because we're not driven by the result. We're driven by the passion of the Christ. This is exciting for us. I want to go back. I don't want to retire. What causes that kind of thinking? Jesus Christ. And so we talk to everyone that we meet, all people, every individual, and the goal is to either introduce them to Christ or to help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. There is never a dull moment in serving Jesus Christ. I look at my brothers, and they've been called in various uh, uh, work and ministry things, a brother who's a doctor, a brother who works for the government uh, and the postal inspector service, uh, a brother who is in engineering, and I wouldn't trade my life with any of them because meeting people and seeing what God is doing in their life is so exciting. It's the best movie that you could ever watch. It never ends. There was a movie a long ago called The Ever Never Ending Story uh, or The Never Ending Song. Have you heard that one? There is a song that never ends, for it goes on and on, my friends. Yeah, you, they're nodding their heads. They know that one. We could keep singing it, right? The excitement and the opportunities when you start and I start living life trying to introduce our friend Jesus to our friend on the street or our friend in the neighborhood. Life takes on a whole new dynamic. Everyone, all people, every individual for every amount of growth and maturity that we can bring. Notice the bolden words, or emboldened words here in the text. We warn, we teach, that we may bring people up to their full maturity. This is what I'm working at all the time with what, the strength that God gives me. We warn, we teach, we bring to maturity. We're working at these things. Does this kind of Christianity take effort? It does. Is it easier to sit back and watch? It is. But it's not what the children of God are supposed to do. We're born to be active. When we see a child that can't move or can't talk or can't speak, we know that there's a problem of development. Spiritually speaking, there's a problem of development with some of us. We can't move. We can't speak. This is not what God designed us for. This is not true living. 
True living comes when we engage in these things. And the delightful thing about it is when we say, hey, Lord, I can't do that. I'm tired. I can't meet another person. When we come to that point, that drops us to our knees and we pray. And that's where we realize what Paul realized and he understood and he experienced was that the power of God fills you to do these things. God enables you to do far above more than you can ask and think. He really does. Maybe you think that sounds mystical or you think that sounds crazy or you say, show me proof. I can't. All I know is by what I experience that God infuses us with strength to do these things. And, and Paul gives it, gives this thought uh, pen to paper where he said, with all the strength that God gives me in Christ. He says that again in Ephesians that the strength, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power at work in you and I to enable us to do his calling in our lives. We were able to uh, see our oldest daughter, Jessica, and her husband, Joseph. Uh, he works on a, a carrier uh, in San Diego, uh, transferring, uh, transferring the uh, electrical components uh, as an electrician. When they overhaul a ship from being a diesel-driven to a nuclear-driven ship, and he enjoys that work. And uh, we get to see our grandchildren, uh, Joey, as uh, a chubby blonde-haired, blue-eyed five-year-old, and Josie is his uh, wild younger sister who likes one of the wild things, and uh, she's three. Uh, we were wrestling one uh, morning here in uh, August when we saw them, and uh, Josie poked me in the eye, so I had to go to the eye doctor. Bratty kid. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, that's just kind of the uh, energy that they have. But we enjoy seeing Jessica. Uh, uh, Jessica uh, shared with us recently a conversation she had that demonstrates this Colossians 1, 28, 29 life purpose. Uh, so she meets a Japanese friend in the park by their house in San Diego. And they talk, and uh, Jessica initiates trading uh, contact information. So a couple of weeks later, uh, she decides to go on another walk with the kids, and she remembers this lady, so she texts her with the number that she purposely received a couple of weeks earlier, and she asks her to meet, and they walk, and they agree to walk together. As they walk, they talk, and Jesus mentions that uh, the kids are going to Awana tonight, uh, and, the, and the kids and what they do there and, and what's going on, and... Just ask the lady if she has any ideas about God or, or religion. And the lady says she doesn't, but that her husband, who is Puerto Rican, is somewhat religious. So he happens to come home early from work that day, and the wife texts him while she's talking to Jessica. and says, come to the park. Uh, I'm, I'm talking with this lady, and she's talking about God. So he comes down to the park and joins the conversation about God, and he leaves later thinking about how they are going to talk to their daughter about God. This is an example of this naturally we proclaim Christ uh, in, in action. As we were there in August for 10 days, uh, and I reflected on it, uh, in 10 days, uh, Jessica met a new Japanese couple at the pool we followed it up by taking them out to dinner a week later, 
she was taken out to dinner by them two weeks ago. They don't know Christ. Both uh, the lady is a doctor and the husband is an engineer working on changing toilet water to drinking water. Interesting. We go to a kid's farm one day while we're there, and, and Jessica invites one of her friends who she met online. Uh, they're both photographers, and they, so they were learning each other's uh, photographic techniques. And uh, we went to this kid farm. It was like a working farm with rides and things, and her kids and our, uh, our grandkids were playing together. And we heard about this uh, girl's new uh, conversion to Jesus Christ. And we were able to spend a lovely afternoon just talking about how do you grow uh, in the faith. Uh, the interesting thing was that uh, girl came from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan where Don and I had done one of our first youth group uh, VBS ministries up into that place. And we thought that it was the uh, the entrance to hell, because it was so dark and dreary, both weather-wise and spiritually, uh, we were yelled at for inviting kids to VBS uh, in those small towns out in the backwoods. And so we here we're, we were brought to remembrance about this as we talked with this lady. And we heard about how Christ had saved her and the next steps that she was taking and that Jessica was encouraging her to take. A few days later, Jessica went on a hike while we watched the kids with another Christian friend, and they mutually encouraged each other in the faith. A few days later, we met Demit, and Demit brought back all of my Russian language from uh, junior high and high school. As we played in the pool every day, this Russian family had gained asylum recently into San Diego, father uh, and mother and little 10-year-old Demit. And even though Joey couldn't talk with Demit because Demit didn't know English and uh, Joey didn't know Russian, Joey always took me down to Demit's door every day we went to the pool. We got to ask Demit to come to the pool with us, right? And so I learned words like Akula, which is shark. And uh, we tried to uh, build that relationship as best as our broken Russian uh, could. Uh, and God is doing a work. Uh, the father doesn't know anything about Christ, uh, even though the or Russian Orthodox Church and Ukrainian Orthodox Church, of which I was saved out of, uh, talks about Christ. Jessica and her husband Joe are part of a small group on Thursday nights, life groups. And in that life group, we found a delightful mini church atmosphere where people could pray together, confess their sins together, talk about God's word and what God's doing in their life, uh, where they could have, you know, help each other follow Christ in the, in the issues of life. Uh, we're not meant to go through problems alone, but that's kind of our American uh, preference. We, we're like a wounded animal. We get hurt and we crawl back into our cave rather than going to friends and family and say, I need help. And uh, this is what we were experiencing in this small Thursday night troop and uh, group. And um, just the way that Jessica, in her natural way, trying to plan out her day where she can bump into people. And so she can talk about the one uh, who loves her. And uh, this is an example of how Paul lived his life and something that we wanted to leave you with. We want to show you a little uh, video now about Japan 
and uh, what God is doing at the Miyokonojo Christian Center. We're on the fourth of the main big islands, the island of Kyushu, a city of Miyokonojo, about 200,000 people. has a big river that runs through it. It's a bowl-shaped community. And to the north, we have beautiful volcanoes, which sometimes erupt. Self-centeredness becomes self-sacrifice for others, making our lives revolve around people. In the following story, Jesus' story in Japan, see how the resurrection of Jesus redefines what the Christian life is for us today. It is a life of purpose, power, passion, and people. At the Miyakonojo Christian Center, we endeavor to live simply, minister humbly, but with intentionality. To hold each other accountable as a spiritual family, we centered on purpose, power, prayer, and people. Purpose, knowing, having, and living out our life's purpose in our God-given birthright. Created by God for God's glory our lives reach their fullest satisfaction, potential, and joy when our greatest pleasure is God. John Piper repeats this theme in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, where he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with Him. Some people come to Christ thinking that His life and work are for them but fail to recognize the reciprocal truth and calling that we exist for Him, His purposes, and His glory. Paul encourages followers of Jesus to see themselves as servants of Christ. His New Testament letters include shocking admonitions, such as consider yourselves dead to self, but alive to Christ. And for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus himself bluntly told his disciples, whoever does not give up his life for me is not worthy of me. Our identity card includes both death and birth certificates as we are all in Christ, dead men walking. Holding this identity card gives us a life of ultimate purpose and directs us how to live. We are to press on to know the Lord. We are to count all but loss in comparison to the surpassing greatness of His glory. We are to work out our salvation with fear trembling. We are to make disciples. Paul not only exhorts us, but he himself lived a life of purpose. His purpose statements dot his letters and is understood with phrases like, I am crucified with Christ, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. What does that kind of life look like today? Thankfully, Paul describes it for us in Colossians 1, 28-29, and this is how we strive to live in Miyakonodo, Japan. So naturally, we proclaim Christ. We warn everyone we meet 
and teach everyone we can about all about him so that if possible we may bring every man up to his full maturity in Christ this is what I am working at all the time with all the strength God gives me power has always been a coveted human value and people try to obtain it through various pursuits visa economic technological academic or political power most often is found in intangibles such as status connections and influence even as we read bible stories we link ourselves with stories and victories of heroes rather than defeats and weaknesses be that as it may jesus and paul demonstrated time and time again that the only real power is god's and the only real influence we can yield in our christian walk comes not from ourselves but from him contrary to the cultural pull to acquire personal power and influence jesus demonstrated a perfect posture of humble weakness even he relied on the father's power and not his own paul told the corinthian church directly that ministry done in any other form of power but the power of the crucified christ was not the gospel ministry Paul relished in weaknesses as it was the way that gave all the glory to God. He did not come to them as a great orator or with wealth, status or human authority. He used what we all have today to do the ministry. That is God's power. New Testament saints followed suit as Dorcas made clothes, Stephen waited tables and Lydia housed and fed people today at the miyakonojo christian center we borrow god's strength by intentionally sharing god's word using holy spirit's gifts engaging in corporate prayer human relationships conversations time gifts service and suffering to carry on the ministry we are mutually encouraged as we see young adults giving serving and forgiving the japanese along the way they joyfully speak of jesus and testify of their living relationship with him one conversation at a time one person at a time the power of this kind of intentional living only comes by prayer prayer is often talked about but sometimes done less prayer is a discipline that jesus gave to us and great joy especially when we see it as a communication with the one we love and not as a stuff wanted born church for the mcc community is daily where two or three are gathered together in his name to pray we meet at cafes public places restaurants for the word worship prayer and encouragement what is exciting is that it is often called for and carried out by anyone who desires in the church passion prayer has yielded us another blessing which is a growing passion for the one we are talking to our cross-shaped faith demonstrates that nothing is stronger than the power of love as we pray to god in private and in small groups our love grows and as that love grows we simply cannot keep quiet about him in public love is like that you know 
You just can't stop talking about the one you love and who loves you. Jesus expresses himself so personally in the upper room discourse of the Gospel of John. He invites us to abide in him and promises that he will abide in us just as he abides in the Father and the Father abides in him. True love, living relationship, does not get greater than this. When someone is in the room and we refer to them in the third person, how does that person feel? I wonder if we do not in fact do that when we tell people to go to church rather than come unto me. I will show you the Father, Son, and Spirit, for they live in me. At the end of John's Gospel, three important questions are leveled at Peter. Peter's questions become our questions at the Miyakonaja Christian Center. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my flock. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Passion for God bleeds into passion for people, lost people, wandering from the fake kinds of people. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Use me. I love you so much. People. It was undoubtedly a power born of prayer and passion for the Lord that fueled the growth of the early church so that by the end of the first century, it had grown from 12 disciples to millions that filled the whole Roman Empire and beyond. Today, church growth experts count people often as a mean of success. Usually, that success is attributed to some new program or some human intervention. For Paul, people were a sign of God's ministry being accomplished for God's glory, even at the expense of the humans who were given the apostolic task. Such surpassing glory in human jars of clay, who would have known? The more John and Paul and even Jesus could decrease, the greater God's glory was manifested. For Jesus, people were a showcase for the love of God. Jesus loved the Father so much that he loved what the Father also loved. For God so loved the world. If we do not love people, we cannot say that we love God as the two are inextricably linked. While love for God can be grown through worship, prayer, meditation of the word, obedience, confession, and other disciplines, it is made public by loving people. In the beginning, God created, and only man and woman are made in His image. Despite praising God for creating a beautiful world, we are still prone to worship God during a beautiful sunset or from a mountain vista. But rarely, in a crowded line in a sweltering store, or in a crown being jolted back and forth. Why is it that we often try to get away from God's, the pinnacle of creation, rather than relish being in the midst of it? We cannot read the Gospel of John without noticing the hurting people of the world to which Jesus did not turn a blind eye. He healed, He forgave, He spoke, He drew near. He loved indeed and did not despise. 
in the end, how Christ-like people become will be the measure of our authentic gospel ministry. God will take great notice in how we have grown in Him and how we have helped others grow in Him. What is Organic Church and how did you experience it? I was born and raised in a Christian home and I'm grateful for that. But as I grew in my faith, I learned that church and ministry isn't limited by what we do inside the building on a Sunday morning. Ministry is a daily walk with Jesus and other believers that I can pray anytime, read and share the gospel to anyone, anywhere. It happens when you ask someone about their day in the office, when you share your meal to someone in the class, and when you pray for someone in the bus while you're going to work. Wherever the Spirit is, there is freedom. Freedom to do whatever the Spirit leads you to do. On a personal experience, I experience this whenever I play basketball with strangers, when I smile and say hi to someone who's tired. This happens naturally and organically. The first time I heard about Organic Church was when Pastor Chris mentioned Organic Church to us in Japan. I've learned a lot how Organic Church is so natural, it, how it flows through our daily living. I've seen that, I've seen Pastor Chris and Miss Donna do that in a football game, taekwondo class, in a bas basketball game, in a coffee shop where we would, we, we would cook and bake something. That's where we translated that or we adopted that style in Philippines, in Bacolod, when we got home. There's a group we call it Crosspoint. It's called Crosspoint because this is where we point people to the cross, to the crucified Christ and the resurrected Christ. So it was it started in our workplace. We were teachers by profession. What we would do is engage and build conversations with our friends, with our co-teachers, colleagues inside the workplace. And then we would later on invite them for a coffee where we would talk about gospel. I think the organic church is perfect. It best suits the unchurch. This is where they became vulnerable about their faith, about their past, about how they have viewed God. And this happened naturally, and there's no pressure of putting them inside a building or the church, the organized church. But we have seen them grow in their relationship with Christ without the old ways of doing church or doing ministry. And personally, I've always grown in my faith doing that because this is where I realized that God is not limited by the old ways, that God works in ways we cannot imagine, that His ways are higher than our ways. And that's how I experienced Organic Church. What is Organic Church for you and how did you experience it? When I first came across Organic Church, it was a whole new world from what I thought I knew about church. I remember that time Pastor Chris and I were in a coffee shop and he asked a question in which up until now I can vividly uh, remember the confusion in my eyes. He asked what's the thing that you need for you to start a church and then I told him that you need a projector 
you need chairs, you need a pulpit, you need aircon. And I listed all those things you need to build a church. And then he rebuked me and said, what you need is just a Bible. A Bible will empower you to do the things to build the church. The church is not about the building. It's about the people. We have this church called Crosspoint, having Bible studies in coffee shops with our friends and relatives. We talk about the cross of Christ and we point them to the cross. That's why it's called Crosspoint. Church is not about the building or what's inside it. It's the people. It's us. My relationship with Christ is not just about what can I do for Him. It's more profound. It's about what Christ can do through me. This goes beyond church walls. It's about shining His light at work, at home, and actually everywhere. And here's a thought that maybe wraps the essence of an organic church from the scripture. When two or three of us come together in His name, Christ is right there with us. My experience of an organic church through Crosspoint was a wall-breaking experience. It broke down the walls of distrust I built from past experiences. It created in me a clean slate, seeing people differently as children of God. I've learned that I've been saved, forgiven, loved, and now righteous in Jesus. In a family without judgment and condemnation, I am free to fall. But knowing my identity as a child of God enables me to move forward, to go and sin no more. I am a new creation in Christ, and this empowers me to live a life apart from sin. In the Akhenaja, the church is people, even as small as where two or three are gathered. Size is measured in Christ-likeness and practicing the presence of people rather than attendance. May we all continue to view people as God desires and initiate redemptive relationships for His greater glory. Our experience has been finding and living to God's purpose for us. Our power has been found lacking, but in the lost we have found the power, prayer, and in prayer, love for God. This passion is fueling our desire to be with people, to introduce them to the one who is all in all. By His grace, may we all continue to thrive in His care as we follow Him and await His return. We pray this for ourselves and for all of our supporting churches and friends, that we might be a pleasing fragrance to Him. Thank you for your continued partnership in this kind of living. We want to uh, give you a chance to respond uh, to this video, and the, the, the mic is open. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now in response to what you saw? Would you like to share your thoughts, ideas, questions? Anybody? Oh, don't be shy.
we did this in a church in Florida last week, and we couldn't get people to stop talking. Are we the frozen chosen here? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, I'm over here fighting it, waiting for somebody else to raise their hand. But um, I think just the um, American Christianity, um, we have we have problems. So um, I've been convicted. So that's it. We need to pray for America, yeah. Someone else? Thank you. The first one's always the bravest. <laughs> was, that, was that lady that was talking, one of the ladies, the last one, did you bring her to Christ? Uh, no, she... Um, the uh, she and the the guy the young guy with braces uh, they we had the joy of marrying them in June, and after we after they were married two days later we baptized her in a pool with her friends. <laughs> it was fun. Um, so they came to Japan in 2014 as uh, school teachers to teach in the high school uh, near us, and we became friends and then continued to mentor them. They went back to the Philippines and started Crosspoint. Uh, now we're working on uh, a program to help Filipino uh, online workers who have their own businesses to continue to do ministry even while they support themselves like Paul did. Uh, there's a lot of uh, vibrant Filipino Christians. They just can't make a living in the Philippines because there's no economic base. Uh, but those two want to come back to Japan and to help us in ministry. So they're trying to develop their online business and then come to Japan where they can continue to do that business and then uh, help us in the ministry in Japan. Good question. Thank you. Sure. You can have two, three. Yeah, I think, I think that's one of the most important things as a Christian is to serve the Lord under his power and uh, bring people to Christ. I think that's a very important thing for us to do is the Great Commission. And um, there's a particular girl that comes to the church here and um, I always praise her father um, for the love of God and Jesus Christ to, this, to his daughter because she's so young and, and she can preach the word of God as a young person to, to the fallen world. And I think it's a blessing when we see these younger people that come to Christ and that they can serve the Lord and um, tell them your, their testimony as a young person and to bring them to Christ. I think that's a very beautiful thing and I think it's a loving thing. I, I just wish that I myself would have come to Christ earlier from the things that I had seen in the world because we never know when we are going to die. We're all going to die, but we don't know when we will die. And um, to know the Lord as a younger person, you can bring the people to Christ and, and have them not judged by the, by the evil, but by God himself. And uh, I think that's just awesome for these younger people to become Christians and to love the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, you may. 
So, uh, organic church. Uh, I mean, it's the way that we are meant to be, uh, what we're called to be. It, it, it's in this country and in this culture. Uh, I think a lot of people are afraid um, because of rejection. And the thing we have to remember is they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting Christ. Uh, they're rejecting truth. Uh, but it's a call to humble <coughs> ourselves uh, and to simply speak mm -hmm. what God and what the Spirit has laid on our hearts to those around us. And it should be natural. Yeah. It should just flow. Um, uh, we were talking uh, this morning in the class about suffering. Uh, and one of the points is you take every thought captive to Christ. So those thoughts of fear, those thoughts of rejection, those thoughts of everything, take captive and give them away. Give them to Christ and live boldly because he's given us a spirit, uh, not of fear. Not of fear. Yeah. So thank you. When Daniel was uh, third grade in elementary school, he would uh, cry uh, as we left him off at school in the Japanese school. It was a new school and he was in the... And he'd cry, and we'd, we'd give that verse to him every day before going, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And here he is back in Japan, you know, as a missionary. So, yeah. How about you? Another thought, comment? We're getting some good ones now. It's flowing. The brave ones came first. Okay, now the chicken ones can go. Who's next? <laughs> what is God's spirit saying to you? I think sometimes the pressure we put on ourselves that we have to win the soul or we have to convert the person. And what we're finding out over 30 years in Japan that you have a conversation with somebody and that's your responsibility. And the Holy Spirit begins to do his work and he makes that person think about it some night later on in the darkness the Holy Spirit works in that person's life. And then they meet someone else five years down the road and they have another conversation. And they meet someone else a, a year later and have another conversation. Then they read something. Then they see something. Then they hear something. And 30 years down the line, they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Why does God do it that way? So that God gets all the glory. Everyone forgets who talked to them first, you know, 30 years before. But they know the name Jesus. I think that's why God does it that way. So we don't have to pressure ourselves that we have to bring in the goods. We, have to, we all want to harvest but Jesus talks about planting, right? If we don't plant, I think that's why we're in the problem in America today where, where we've always focused in on the harvest. Everybody likes the harvest. We focus on the harvest, but nobody wants to till the soil with kindness and to do the weeding, uh, correcting people's false teachings or do the planting of a seed, giving the gospel. And if we don't do those steps, then we won't have a harvest. And so we need to think about our, how are we living that is planting? How are we living that is uh, getting receptive soil, softening the soil of people's hearts? Um, our, one of our daughters, Michelle, uh, just married uh, a young, a new Christian. And uh, they decided to have somebody over to eat recently. And both of them are physical trainers. 
uh, and nutritionists, so they, they have clients. And the two clients that our son-in-law invited were two uh, homosexual men in their 60s. And so they invited them over for dinner. And um, Matt nudges Michelle, I think we should pray, right, before dinner? And <laughs> he threw her under the bus. So she prayed. And after the prayer, uh, they looked at her and said, thank you very much. That was the first time uh, anybody's ever prayed for us. So that's a soil softening, right, uh, adventure. And uh, the Holy Spirit will take that now for when the gospel seed comes, uh, that it can find uh, good soil, right? Okay, just one or two more minutes. Anybody else want to share? Kids, do you want to say something? Yeah. So, so I went to Naples, Florida this um, summer with my sister. Um, she's not a follower of Christ, but we went through um, Billy Graham, Billy Graham's library area, and um, she told me I had an hour, or I'm gonna leave you. I'm sure she would have left me, um, but um, Billy Graham's library has a big statue of the sower of the planter of the seeds. And then on his um, memorial stone where he's buried there has the cross, John 14, six. And his wife has, uh, has a memorial stone that says we are all under construction by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that he, that he has not fulfilled, fulfilled totally what is in us, but we are under construction is human beings, so that's kind of interesting. It is, it is. Uh, flying through the Charlotte Airport five years ago, a lady told me about that museum. I have not got to see it, but it was Billy Graham waving a Bible around on uh, TV that got my mother and my grandmother's attention out of a Ukrainian Orthodox background, you know, 80 years ago, and or not that long ago, 70, <laughs> 60, 70 years ago. And that's how my mom came to Christ and then how we were able to hear it too. So one more. We've had men, a lot of men. There's another man. Okay. Okay. We're going to take, we've got to have one lady after this gentleman. As everything was going on, it brings back to mind where I came from. The same formula that you're using there, we used to call it the CIA, Christians in Action, which means we take people to breakfast or we talk with them for lunch and just sow the seed. And when we, if we're looking for a job, we were trained first thing when we go for the interview we got to let the, whoever is hiring us know we're Christians. That was the first on the agenda, if we're going to get a job or not. We didn't care about the job. We just want them to know we're Christians. If they're going to hire us, they're going to start thinking because we know they're going to be looking at us to see whether we're true Christians. And we as the Christians who have come into this job, many times we find ourselves in, a, in an environment where there are no Christians. The person that hires us is looking to see how we live our lifestyle. And now we have a chance as we go through, as we walk in that place, to live 
that lifestyle of a Christian. And this was all the training we got from the CIA, Christians in Action. Because we know I come from a country where the Muslim population is almost 90%, Christians were only 6%, then free thinkers get the rest of the percentage. So there was not much you could say when you work for a Muslim, but if the Muslim know you're a Christian, that Muslim is looking at you to see how are you different from them. And that we believe that God uses us to sow the seeds as we go along, as long as we, we work, like Christ ex expects us to work as Christians, we will lay a foundation. And in so doing, God has used some of those Muslims to become Christians later after some of us have left. We don't even know that, except in the long run, we find that some of them became Christians. But it is true, if you keep the Christian identity card in front of anything you do in life, you may not know who you're going to affect. The spirit works in mysterious ways. We, it's easy to say, but it's difficult to believe it. If you believe it, you trust the spirit, you will let the spirit do its job. Sometimes we only call for a cup of coffee and you give a testimony there and the person asks you, why are you doing it? I'm doing it because I'm a Christian and I see that probably you need a cup of coffee. That's simple talk. You may not know how far it goes. Hudson, Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, he was there. He, China, they, they're still not Christians, but the foundation he laid while he was there has got an effect even on the government. They know it, they don't talk about it. They're afraid of Christians. So as Christians, in America, when I came here, I've been here almost 40 years. You're right. You people don't want to talk about your religion in a, in a gathering. You think you're going to offend people. And I know when you apply for jobs, Christianity is not on the forefront of your agenda on that job application to let them know, I am a Christian and I'm willing to work for you. But it's supposed to be if you trust Christ. It's supposed to be in the forefront. Let people know it does not only help the people you're gonna be working among, it helps you yourself to keep that Christian identity so that all may see it without you having to say a word to them by the way you live around them. It helps a lot, but many a time, Americans have been around, my friends, I joke with them on that. They don't want to talk about their religion. They will talk about everything else. <laughs> Football is big, basketball is big, but no religious talk in the game of football or basketball. But it should be. Let people know where you stand. You get it? Amen, amen. He's saying something important uh, here, just a personal experience about that. Uh, came home and talking to a niece and she's working as a nurse. She grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian school her whole life, went to Pensacola Christian Academy, a very you know strict Christian college. And her first job that she takes, she has to work on Sundays. And so I asked her, I said, didn't you talk to the boss and say anything about your Christian faith? Well, no. Well, I said, this is what we tell the kids in Japan to do. Go to them, tell them that you're a Christian and that 
being a Christian is going to make you a good worker, but you need to spend time in your relationship with God, and we like to do that as a group on Sunday, so I need to have Sundays off. Uh, will, you will you still give me a job? And that's where you step out in faith, right, and, and give your identity, even if it means that you might not get that particular job. And uh, I, I'm shocked, you know, to be honest, that we have all this Christian teaching, and then when it comes time to make a decision, we decide, you know, to hide our identity rather than to live it out. And when you, when you step out in faith, exactly what you say the Spirit does, you know, moves in ways that we don't know. And um, we could spend a lot of stories telling yeah, that. I, I mean, I, that was experience. I was a manager for Radio Shack for about 10 years. Well, going in there as a Christian, I didn't have to work on Sundays. We just made it clear. I, I assisted the church, and therefore I cannot go to work on Sunday. And as big as Radio Shack was, I was still on it. They didn't want to kick me out because I was a Christian. No. And I worked for them. And I worked for H.H. Craig for almost another 10 years. Same thing. I told him I'm a Christian. Everybody goes to this Sunday work, I have to be in church. I didn't go to work. All because I have to let them know up front who I was. I work in the other days, but not on Sundays. Mm -hmm. They could give me the job or they could leave me out. It does work if you trust God. It does. Lady, we need one lady, please, and then we could go home, have lunch. You will? Do you, need, you don't need a microphone, do you? <laughs> I'm teasing her. You know, pastors' wives are known in Baptist churches for being loud and obnoxious. And no, no. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm a Baptist. Um, we've spent a lot of time with Chris and Donna this weekend, but we've known them for years too. But I think one of the things that God has impressed upon my heart, even this morning, but throughout this weekend, I'm type A planner. I like to wake up in the morning and know what I'm going to do, where I'm going to do it, how I'm going to do it, and ask him, don't get in my way. Like, move it or lose it, you know? And um, I think God is really continuing to press upon my heart that um, I need to ask the Holy Spirit to guide me and show me people around me because I think I can get so caught up in my things to do that I'm not aware of people and having those organic conversations with them. Um, and I know people are watching me. I know people are around me, but just to be more aware of asking the Holy Spirit to guide me and to help me, um, to have those conversations. And, you know, it's funny because I say Chris and Aaron are a lot alike because they talk to everybody all the time. And yet that's what God calls us to do. And so often I shy away from that. And, um, so I appreciate that. And I think that's what um, God has called us to do, and I want to try to continue to ask him to help me to do that. Pastor. Well, we want to pray for Chris and Donna, and uh, as we finish up, pray that not only for them to continue to be faithful, and that God would supply all of their needs, but for us to be faithful too, so... Cheryl, you like those lights shining? 
stand up there one Sunday. Whew, it's bright. But just thinking of that, the light's on you too, right? The light isn't just here on Sunday mornings. The light, we get to shine that light out. And the beauty of that is no matter how old you are, whether you're a young child or you're older than the hills, I mean seasoned, you're seasoned in life, God wants to use you and the people around you. And so the challenge is, one, are you going to allow him to use you, right? Yield to him. Yield because why? He always knows what's best, even if it's challenging or hard. So will you yield to him? And then as you yield to him, will you walk through that opportunity? You can say, okay, here I am, Lord, but then choose to do your own thing. Yield to him. Say, Lord, here I am. Use me. And as you take that first step, he's walking with you, guiding you, giving you what you need. So who in your mind, in your heart that God has placed that you want to share with this week? And maybe you don't know who that is, but continue to pray about that, that God will bring along those people so that we may be the church that God calls us to be. Not just to worship him here, but to proclaim we testify of his goodness. That's your job, not just mine. I didn't hear any amens, but I'll say amen. I'm here to help equip you, not to do the work. We do the work, amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thanks for this morning, for the opportunity that you've given us to, to be in this place. And Lord, it, there are times where we... We have seen the goodness of the Lord. We've seen your goodness played out in our lives, Lord. We, we've, we've seen it. We've experienced it. And yet there are times where we, where we know and see your hand working, and yet we're, we're at times paralyzed or we're, we're fearful. We're, 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 we constrain you and ourselves from walking forward and doing and sharing the gospel or sharing your goodness, or sharing a smile, or a hello. The simple things of just engaging in a personal conversation. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for that. And Lord, I pray that you would lead us. And in leading, that we would yield ourselves as followers of yours. We have died with Christ. We, therefore, we no longer live, but we live with Christ, we live with Christ in us. In the life we now live, we serve you. We owe it all to you. Lord, we are grateful for the life you've given us. Not only now, but for all of eternity, the hope that we have. We thank you for that. And so, Lord, as we leave from here, we pray that you would help us to yield and then walk obediently, walking step in step, hand in hand with you, that we may see and testify of your goodness. Thank you for Chris and Donna. Thank you for their faithful ministry, Lord, in Japan and around the world. Lord, I pray your blessing to continue to be upon them. May you give them strength and protection. May you guide them and direct them and put people in their paths that would, that, that would hear of the good news and that would continue to, to uh, make decisions based upon your word and lord for those who have come to know christ that they would live a life uh, devoted fully to you and 
I pray that you would help Chris and Donna see the fruits of their labor, Lord. Uh, it's a very difficult time. It can be very challenging when looking and seeing, Lord, uh, where the fruit is. And yet, Lord, I uh, thank you for this season that you're giving them where you're working in mysterious and ways that they could never imagine of how to proclaim the gospel. And yet you're doing a great work. And we praise you that it's not left up to us, Lord, in our own devices, but that your ways are above our ways. And so we can trust you. And so I pray that you would continue to guide and direct them. Thank you for their children, for, for Jess and Joe, and for their two little ones, for Michelle and Matthew, and, and for Daniel, Lord, and, and Naomi. And Lord, we pray that your blessing upon them, that you may continue to guide them, and that they will continue to serve you and love you with all of their heart, Lord. So we thank you for this morning. As we leave from here, Lord, may we see your hand moving us and guiding us. Not that we're earning our salvation. You've already given it to us by your grace. But, but we go living and proclaiming and doing because not only have you called us to, as Chris reminded us, what else, what else are we to be about? It's about your glory, that your kingdom may come, that your will would be done in earth as it is in heaven. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus, all of God's people said, amen, amen. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful week.